for parents and for spouses and for best friends, it's really important to understand your loved one's temperament type. And I think this is true whether you're going through an eating disorder or not. That is one important way of bringing in what we've learned about the brain and how we treat people. Welcome to Equip to Recover, where we explore the intersection of recovery stories and eating disorder science to show you that recovery is not only possible, it is worth it. I'm Jessica Flint, and today I'm joined with Christina Safran and Aaron Parks. Christina and Aaron are pioneers in the digital mental health space. Before the pandemic, they had a vision of a fully virtual eating disorder treatment center, which is now known as Equip. With coverage in all 50 states in America, they are paving a path to greater accessibility to treatment that works delivered at home. Christina Safran is the chief executive officer at Equip and previously founded Project Teal, a nonprofit with a mission to break down systemic and financial barriers to eating disorder healing. And Erin Parks is a researcher with a doctoral degree in clinical psychology. She is now the chief clinical officer and chief operating officer at Equip, helping improve access to evidence-based mental health care. I'm so excited to have Christina and Erin join me for a listener Q&A where we answer a burning recovery question from our audience of warriors. And today's question comes from Bobby. And Bobby asks, what have neurobiologists discovered about the differences in the brains of people with anorexia? And to what degree might these discoveries lead to new treatments? And so, Erin, with your vast clinical experience, and Christina, how do we look at the the brain, these brain disorders? That is a great question, Bobby. And I think before I go into answering this, I want people to remember that I'm not saying your brain is wired wrong or that it's irreparably damaged. It is a good thing that these are brain-based and the treatments that are being developed and have been developed are all about how do we use the fact that your brain thinks a little bit differently or process things differently to help you get better. So we know that the brains of people who struggle with anorexia in particular, their risk and reward circuitry are wired a little bit differently. What this means is these are two pathways in the brain that are parallel to each other. They're right next to each other. And we all should pursue rewards. So I like to pretend, let's say I'm a little fuzzy little bunny and every once in a while I have to get out of my bunny hole and I have to go find the reward, a carrot. But if you're running around the field, carrot, 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 and all of a sudden you see a fox, you should stop caring about carrots and you (laughs) should take your little bunny bum and run right back to your hole. So your consequence circuitry should start firing and you should be motivated to stay alive. Now, what happens sometimes with anorexia is that the consequences are so salient that you stay in your bunny hole and you never go seek any rewards because your fear of dying is so much greater than the reward of getting a carrot, if I continue this bunny metaphor. So we see this with spending. We see this with gambling. We see this in lots of different ways. Christina, do you want to talk about maybe how you've seen this temperament type in yourself with risk and reward? Yeah, for sure. I think certainly when I was recovering, my parents for a really long time wanted to coax me into recovery with rewards with, you know, let's go on this big trip that you'd wanted, or, you know, you'll be able to do this summer program or, 
et cetera, et cetera. And none of it was super rewarding. And I think we see this often, like parents are like, oh, I will buy you a car if you get better, right? And if only that worked, like the insurance companies would be buying people, you know, <laughs> cars in order to get them to recover. And that would be a better solution than we have. The health insurance, not the car insurance. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, the health insurance. But what we do see, and certainly it was true for me, was my parents saying, okay, you're not going to be able to go to school unless you finish breakfast. And that missing school as someone who really cared about that was really, really salient to the fact that, okay, I'm going to do what I need to do to not miss out on this. So I think that's one really good tangible example of how we take the brain science and utilize it for effective treatment. So if any, if most people were to get a car, the reward circuitry in their brain would start firing like, wow, I got something. If Christina were late to school or missed first period, that would feel like a consequence. She'd walk into the room and everyone would turn and look at her as she walked in late to class. That feels like a consequence. You could frame it as it's a reward being on time. That's not how her brain sees it. And the reason we know this is we, I'm using the royal we of researchers, uh, have put people into scanners, people who currently have anorexia, also people who are long, long recovered and we give them $20. And we're like, put that $20 in your pocket. You're going to play a gambling game. And while they're playing the gambling game, if you've never had anorexia before, every time you win money, your reward circuitry lights up. It's like a Christmas tree. It's so excited. But if you have had anorexia before, either currently or you're long recovered, what we find out is that you care more about not losing that $20. So if you won $100 gambling, your reward center is like, Meh. But if you exited the scanner and you still had the $20 you went in with, your brain is like, woohoo, super excited. So your brain, your consequence circuitry is happier. It, it influences your happiness more than a reward influences your happiness. And I will say that when people hear this, remember it's population averages. So like not everything is going to apply to everyone. There is a constellation of temperament traits that Aaron will go through that typically folks with eating disorders have a couple of them. They may not have all of them. And so actually for me, uh, there's certainly an aspect of it. I think I actually fall less on this spectrum. I started a company, like clearly I'm a little bit more okay with risk mm -hmm. than <laughs> the typical person with anorexia. Um, but when you go into some of the other temperament traits, I think those definitely apply to me uh, even more saliently. So then this, I can see why numbers would be so it, like part of the recovery process, like the weight gain or calories, like those can start to be what, what becomes the rewards and become like the consequences and rewards. And, and this is where the real work has to be done in, in rewiring or, and I guess what you're saying is even if they've already recovered, the brain is still wired this way. So how do you work with somebody's brain who's still wired this way? Yeah, let's talk about the numbers for a second. So um, for those of you who are less familiar, it's not uncommon when you struggle with anorexia that once you hear a number, you can't get it out of your head. So you decide you want to weigh a certain number on the scale or you want to run a mile at a certain pace. That number becomes just, it's like etched in stone in your brain. And while you could pair it with the reward consequences circuitry, it's actually a different temperament type that we see in the brains of people with eating disorders. And this is the ability to set a goal and have tunnel vision towards the goal. So most of us will set goals, but we will be distracted by other things. We'll be distracted by other goals to pursue, social obligations, things in our environment. But we've noticed that people with anorexia have this incredible ability to have 
and I mean this in the most positive or negative way, tunnel vision and singular focus towards a goal. And oftentimes that goal can be a number, but it can also be used for other things. So Christina could probably answer this and talk about both how this was a, a trait for evil and a trait for good. 100%. And it still continues to be, right? Um, my life focus on fixing the eating disorder you know, epidemic and the treatment access problem is a phenomenal example of this. So if I just said, okay, this is what I'm going to narrow focus on. You get a lot of no's in nonprofits and company building, but just like not really hearing those and no's and not yet, like <laughs> keep going, this persistence. But it is an amazing trait. It can also be kind of annoying. You ask my parents and my husband, they would definitely <laughs> tell you about some of the negatives. But it is something that is kind of like core and innate to my personality that certainly fueled my eating disorder, you can imagine all the hyper-focus on, you know, perfecting my body and taking in as little food as possible and losing weight. You know, I was really good at that too. But when I learned to channel it in a different direction, I was able to take that really powerful temperament trait and say, how do I make this work for me? Which was a really positive thing in my own recovery. Mm, So there's kind of this like innate stubbornness or tunnel vision kind of, but that can really be transmuted into if you're, you're putting it in the right direction to things that are meaningful and purposeful for you and give you joy and give others. In treatment and to, you know, answering Bobby's question about how is the brain wired? So yeah, the brain is wired to value consequences more than rewards. And the brain is wired to have tunnel vision towards a goal. And they can be as great of traits or as bad of traits as you choose to use them. And a huge part of our treatment here at Equip is figuring out what are your values? What do you value? We get it that your brain is maybe stuck on this number. We get it that you're not um, external rewards aren't going to help you recover. But let's find the consequences that are salient. Or let's find that goal that is important to you. So we have a lot of athletes that we treat. There's a higher rate of anorexia and eating disorders in general in athletes, particularly high school and college athletes. And for these athletes, we often say, okay, your goal is to go to the Olympics. Your goal is to play in the NCAA tournament. And you can do that if you recover and nourish your body enough. And so using their temperament trait to help them focus on that goal instead of the goal of a number on the scale. Because the consequence is you don't get to perform in, in this event or, you, yeah, you don't get to pursue that dream of yours. Yeah. And just helping people understand that, like, these can be really positive things, right? If you learn how to redirect them, rechannel them, you know, I think this sort of high achievement orientation, very, very high standards, kind of perfectionism is another one that we see really often in the population. And it's like, those are awesome. You know, like so many careers really do value that sort of trait and temperament. And so helping people understand like, this doesn't mean you're going to have an eating disorder forever. How do you actually utilize this for good and build your, you know, recovered life in a way that is going to be in line with your values? Have there been longitudinal studies that have shown the wiring in the brain changes? Or is this really something like, no, this is how your brain is and it's okay. Like you, you'll be able to to work around it in different ways or, or can it change? You know, there's a power of meditation, being able to rewire your brain and this idea of neuroplasticity. Like it really is a, a both and. On the one hand, these are temperament types. Like I'm chatty and I don't know if much is going to make me not be chatty. And Christina is goal oriented. I don't think there's much that's going to take that away from her. So all of us, whether we've had an eating disorder or not, there are ways in which our brains are wired that might be 
slightly different than the person next to us. Everything exists on a spectrum, right? Some of us are better at paying attention than others. Some of us have better memories than others or worse memories. So some of those things are pretty immutable and it's not a life sentence. Now, the other half of it is what you shared, which is neuroplasticity, that we can lay down new neuropathways. My favorite study of all time is when they took a group of adults who didn't know how to juggle and they gave them juggling lessons for like eight weeks. And then at the end of the eight weeks, not only could they now juggle, but we saw new pathways in the brain, not just functional pathways, but you could see that the fibers had gotten stronger. So we know that we're always capable of new learning and new development. And so a big part about taking these temperament traits and using them for good are starting to associate those temperament traits with things that you value, with the types of behaviors that you want to engage in. And so if you have a fear food and you eat your fear food, every time you eat the fear food, your brain is learning and it's becoming less and less scary. And every time you use your temperament trait of being goal-oriented or being more consequence-driven, and if you use it towards things that you value and are pro-health and make your life better, you're strengthening your ability to do that again and again. Yeah. And I think it's a good difference. Like you can think about the difference between being sort of perfectionistic and achievement-oriented. Like I was never going to be someone who was not goal-oriented. If you look at a scale of like zero to 10, like- I was around a nine and I was probably never going to be at two. That said, like there are diminishing returns to being at the highest level of that scale, being a nine. Um, and so saying, okay, this is, you're always probably going to be at the higher level, but how do we ramp that down to like a seven where it goes from perfectionism to achievement orientation? And hey, that's a great thing. Like that's awesome. And that's always going to be in the fabric of your personality. And to this day, and this will be my constant life journey is how do I slow down? How do I be a little bit nicer to myself? Like, and and that'll be something that I work on for my whole life. And I'm really, really glad that I've been able to bring that from a nine in my teens to, you know, a six or a seven in, you know, my early thirties. Maybe by the time I'm 50, it'll be at around a five and a half. Probably never gonna be a two. <laughs> <laughs> well, so then to Bobby's second part of of the question of to what degree might these discoveries lead to new treatments? So if I'm hearing what you're saying, it, it is kind of this value-based, looking at value-based treatment. I don't know if it's, you would call that acceptance commitment, but like looking at values is one way you guys have kind of worked this into your quit model. Because it sounds like if they do something that's recovery, pro-recovery, it's not about giving them a celebration. It depends for each person, right? So as kind of Christina shared, not of this is true for 100% of people. There was a treatment that came out a couple of years ago called TBTS, which stands for Temperament-Based Treatment with Supports by Dr. Laura Hill and a team from UC San Diego, Dr. Stephanie Natz and Dr. Christina Warenga. And one of the great things about Equip is we've surrounded ourselves with these wonderful advisors and champions. And so in addition to other treatments that we have been working on and figuring out how to weave in. We definitely are talking with this team as well. And so they, to answer Bobby's question, have created a treatment all around how do we make sure we are leaning on people's temperament types to help them recover. And sometimes this means educating your loved ones about it. So, you know, for being Christina's co-founder, it's important for me to know that as hard as Christina might try, if she has an idea in her head, like, She's going to be 
goal oriented towards that idea. And so then when she brings it up for the eighth time, I don't get mad at her. Instead, I realize she just can't let it go. It's in her head and she's not doing it to annoy me. This is just how her brain works. And we get to have a lot of fun with it because I've got plenty of these traits too. I, I'm not a walk in the park either. But for parents and for spouses and for best friends, it's really important to understand your loved one's temperament type. And I think this is true whether you're going through an eating disorder or not. That is one important way of bringing in what we've learned about the brain and how we treat people. I absolutely love that. Um, And I would just add that like going back to the chassis of the people need to be nutritionally rehabilitated, that is our understanding of the neurobiology of like your brain on starvation, right? The understanding of these are really hard disorders that like require you to fight many, many times a day. This is why you need support. So it it really is embedded into the core of the treatment model. And I think our, our understanding of this, while it's come a long way, is still like fairly nascent as a field, probably because our research has been so underfunded and limited. And so we're like, again, going back to that, let's use what works. And then let's continue to study more and more on this diverse population to continue to give people even more tools such that it works for even more people for even longer. If someone is malnourished, underweight, really kind of in the throes of anorexia, would this activate this path, like this more? The Would the reward, risk and reward, would that be more so than if they were at a, a rate restored. I'm just, I'm just curious if that that affects them more. I hear what you're saying, Jess. I think that a helpful way to think about it is like being right-handed. You are right-handed because that's how your brain is wired. 75% of people are wired to be right-handed and 25% are wired to be left-handed. Your brain is wired that way. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't learn how to play a keyboard with two hands or type on a keyboard with two hands or do sign language with two hands or talk in a podcast and maybe use both hands or no hands. So you can learn other communication tools. And at the end of the day, your brain is still wired to be right-handed. We are still learning about what all this neurobiology means for people with eating disorders. The research suggests that you just are wired the way you're wired. You can learn new things. But what we do know is that when people are malnourished, it increases their symptoms of anxiety, it increases their symptoms of depression, and makes them increasingly rigid. Uh, So those are things that you might see when someone's in a starvation state. You can be only a little bit underweight for your body type, and that's a key part. It's for your body type. What may be underweight for Jessica is different than underweight for Christina, is different than underweight for Aaron. If you are underweight for your body type, it is very hard on your entire body, including your brain, and that can affect how you show up for yourself and for other people. Thank you so much, Erin and Christina, for sharing your expert insights on Bobby's burning question. It's, it's been really helpful to, to hear the research behind it. Well, we love talking about this stuff, and I think it's fun too because we live it. Uh, over 60% of our company has lived experience, so every single day we get to see the ways in which our temperament traits and how our brain is wired is awesome. It may, a lot of people with eating disorders are very empathetic. They are creative. They are really aware of other people's emotions. And they also are really good at setting a goal and seeing it through. And also we didn't even talk about how they're usually pretty good at working through fatigue or hunger. Like there's a lot of really 
potentially great traits that can also, they can be a liability or an asset. I can tell that you, you're passionate about this, just like the understanding the brain and science around it. I love it. Both Christine and I find it comforting and we really want the families we work with to be comforted by it too. The brains aren't damaged. We're just knowing how, knowing that you're right-handed helps you know where to hold your pen and where to sit at a dinner party, right? Exactly. What's scissors? Scissors, exactly. What words of wisdom would you like to leave our listeners, especially those recovery warriors who are going in to battle with their eating disorder every single day? I would say that it's worth it. Any time you spend trying to find a little bit more joy in your life is worth it. I would wholeheartedly agree that it is both possible and worth it. I have never met anybody who's ever regretted recovering from their eating disorder. And while it will be hard, it will end up being so incredibly valuable for the rest of your life and giving you a lot of skills and self-awareness and understanding that will go on to benefit you in so many different facets of your life forever. How can all the listeners stay in touch with you and find out more about Equip? You can visit us at our website, which is E-Q-U-I-P, equip.health. You can find information there on our classes and groups, how to become a patient at Equip, how to help someone that you care about get treatment. And then also, I think there's over 100 now just articles and videos. So if you have someone going through an eating disorder and just want to educate yourself more, plenty of free materials there to learn from. Well, I want to thank you both so much for your wisdom, your healing work, and your expertise that you brought today. And it's just been a real pleasure. What you're doing is making a big difference. We're living in a moment in time where eating disorders are increasing in their prevalency and far too many people are slipping through the cracks. So thank you so much for building a virtual treatment center like Equip and making eating disorder recovery treatment more equitable and accessible. Thank you, Jessica. This was a real joy to do this with you. Thank you for listening to Equip to Recover. Remember, recovery is not only possible, it is worth it. Find out more about Equip and how you can access treatment that works over at equip.health.